What I'm about to tell you about is kind of sick. It's kind of disgusting, really. You see, as Americans, there are things that we should know. In fact, that we need to know. Because if you really believe in democracy, if you really believe in democracy, you don't just use it as a slogan, then you, you shouldn't look at being informed as a privilege. You see, be, if you're American, right, and you believe in democracy, being informed is a freaking responsibility. It's what we're supposed to do if you want to live in a democracy, right? And those of us who are from other countries, especially many of us in this country who are Latinos, people like me, I was not born in the United States. We get that, sometimes more than Americans who were born here do. And that's why we created this thing called Agua Media and this show, this podcast that I'm doing for you now. Because we, we see the world in a kind of different way. In fact, it's because of our past experiences the stories in our DNA from Latin America and other places that, it, that we don't take our responsibility to democracy for granted. This is a really cool and important thread that we're going to carry out throughout this podcast. But there's something going on right now, right, that, that I have noticed that is keeping us from being informed. And it really sucks, you know? You know why? Because as is often the case in these types of things, it has to do with money, duh, has to do with power. And something, and this kind of really pisses me off because it's something I've dedicated my whole life to, journalism. Journalism, or in this case that I'm about to take you through, the lack thereof of journalism. What is this about? Well, it's about the war in Ukraine. It's about the war in Ukraine, which some people are getting filthy, filthy fucking rich from. I mean, filthy rich from the war in Ukraine. You have no idea. By the way, isn't that always the case with war? Isn't that always the case with, with, with wars? If you look back, you kind of find that for the most part it is, but this time it's being done right in front of your eyes, right in the open, right there. All you, In fact, it's, it's so much in the open, all you have to do every night is turn on your TV and you'll see it happening. Because the accomplices of this so-called, are the so-called national news outlets that most of us are forced to listen to or watch every day, right? Because for the most part, if you're American, you turn on your TV and that's all you're going to see. It's hard to find other sources. And there they are. And what am I talking about? Let me make it as, as, as plain as day. Let me make it real specific so you can understand it. What they're doing is they put people on the air every single day who have a vested interest in continuing, escalating, and propagating a war. In this case, the war in Ukraine. Why? Because they're in the business, get this, duh, they're in the business of selling weapons. Right? I mean, if you make ice cream and I ask you what you think our city needs more of, you're going to say we need more ice cream. If you build roads and I say, what's wrong with my city? You're going to say the problem is roads. We need to build more roads. Of course. Imagine that. A guy who makes money selling bombs is asked on TV if we should make more bombs and send them to Ukraine. And he says, oh, yes. Wow. Wow. Frickin' ding, 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 right? 
Ring the frickin' breaking news bell. Hello? What the hell do you think he's going to say? And, and we watch this every single night, person after person after person say kind of the same thing. And man, I, I got so many examples, this is going to like almost make you mad. Maybe it'll make you cry. I don't know. You tell me. Let's start with Leon Panetta. You know old Leon. He was the chief of staff for President Clinton. He was also the head of the CIA. He was also a defense contractor, mostly for Democratic administrations, by the way. I don't know. Make, that, make of that what you wish. So what's old Leon doing these days? Well, he's making real bucks now, real billetes, real dinero, working for a company that represents Raytheon. Now, Raytheon, as you may know, happens to be one of the largest and richest weapons makers in the history of the world. So what do you think old Leon will say when he's asked, <laughs> when he goes on TV every night, and man, this guy's on almost every single night, and he's asked, about sending Raytheon's weapons to Ukraine. Huh, let's find out. Joining us now is former Defense Secretary and CIA Director under President Obama, Leon Panetta. Mr. Secretary, welcome back. This, this is a, an important opportunity. I think the United States has to provide whatever weapons are necessary to, the, to Ukrainians so that they can hit back and hit back now. Hit back and hit back now. Hell yeah, send them weapons, lots of weapons, all the weapons we got. In fact, if you want, uh, over order, because we can always make some more. <laughs> wow, what a shocker. Of course he has every right to say, and, and he may really believe that we need to send weapons. Some people do. But shouldn't you know that this, son, that this guy is making money saying what he is saying? And that to a certain extent, he's compelled to say that because he's paid. He's an interested party. That's what we used to call a conflict of interest, to be avoided. Not anymore, I guess. Something journalists, by the way, are supposed to know about. But did, you, but did you hear them tell us who he works for? Did you hear them say, by the way, we should let you know that Mr. Panetta works for a company that represents Raytheon, and they, so, you know, he may have a conflict of interest, but we're going to interview him anyway because we think he's a smart guy. No, they didn't say that. It's not journalism, by the way, when you do what they did, right? What you just watched is not journalism. That's propaganda. That's propaganda. They know the guy has a message. They're not telling you his background. They're not telling you about his conflict of interest. They know he's making money. They invite him anyway, and they don't do anything else about it. That's propaganda. That's what we accuse other countries. We go around the world saying the Chinese uh, and Putin and this one and that one are into... That's propaganda, what I just showed you. And it continues. Here's uh, our old friend Jay Johnson. He was the head of Homeland Security. But you know what else he is? <laughs> You're going to love this. He's on the board of directors of Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin, another one of those places I could say is one of the richest weapons manufacturers, if not richest companies in the world. You think that's not a conflict of interest? Let's see if he chooses to calm things down when it comes to Ukraine. Tell Americans it's okay, we're going to figure this out. Or does he go on the air and scare the hell out of everybody? Let's see. Joining us, the former U.S. Homeland Security uh, Secretary, former Defense Department General Counsel as well, Jay Johnson. Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I am concerned that the Putin regime might use chemical weapons on Ukrainian citizens. If that happens, the Biden administration, NATO, 
the Western world will have a very, very serious decision that they're going to have to make. Oh, yeah. Let's go to war with Russia. What the hell? Let's do it. That didn't take long. We need to attack Russia now because they're going to use weapons of mass destruction. Hmm. Let me think. Hold on. Hold on. Still thinking here. When have I heard that before? Hmm. I wonder, what was it Iraq, Iraq, something like that, right? And by the way, in that Iraq thing, who got rich? <laughs> and did you hear, another good question, did you hear Wolf Blitzer tell us about Johnson's ties to Lockheed Martin? Maybe I just missed it. I didn't, and neither did you. And, and what do you say now? Let's do one more, just for shits and giggles. What do you say we do a Navy man now? How about Admiral uh, James Stavridis? He's, uh, he's on TV all the time. Good-looking guy, by the way. So double bonus, I guess. He, uh, a lot of military guys can't wait to retire so that they can make real money by shilling for the military-industrial complex, which pays them more than what they made when they were in the military. But they get to keep their military pension, and then these guys pay him three or four or five times more, by the way. This guy, he did this. I mean, hey, good for him, right? But he does it with real gusto. Look how he answers the questions. For context, we turn to Admiral James Savridis, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. And the question for us is, so what do we do? And I think the answer is you impose crushing sanctions, in, in crushing diplomatic sanctions, send home every Russian ambassador, and you also... In NATO, where I was Supreme Allied Commander, you flood the zone in Eastern Europe. You bring in troops, tanks, missile systems, warships, all the above. What he just described sounds to me, call me crazy, that sounds an awful lot like World War III. Send in the tanks, send in the troops, invade the border, you get everything in there. Wee-haw! Yeah, let's see. Who does the admiral get paid by these days, by the way, as he goes on TV and tells the American people, we need to start World War III and essentially go to war with Russia? Because that's what that sounded like to me. I mean, I didn't hear him miss everything, you know, every weapons we make, send it over there right now, get on the border and get in their face. And what did NBC in that interview not bother to tell you about this guy? Oh, yeah, he works for the Carlyle Group. He works for McClarity Associates where he's actually the chairman of the board. <laughs> I mean, these guys, it, it's, it's not even funny anymore. It's not like they're associated. It's not like they're even trying to hide it. He's the chairman of, a board of a, chairman of the board of a company, which is a military contractor, in essence, or works with a military contractor to help them sell more guns, more weapons. And here, he's, here he is on TV saying World War III is coming and we need more guns. I mean, you can't make this shit up. Suffice it to say that he's paid by the military contractors big time. But if I didn't tell you this about these guys right now, you'd be sitting at home on your couch, comfortably eating your popcorn and watching them and going, oh, these guys are smart. I guess we got to do what they say. We need more guns. We need more weapons. We need to get ready for World War III with Putin or Xi Jinping or whoever the next bad boogie guy, boogeyman guy is. I mean, you would think he's just a smart guy giving an opinion with no vested interest, right? He's not. He's not. Might be a smart guy, but he's got a vested interest.
So why are the TV networks and the cable channels selling the invasion of Ukraine like this, by the way? Not that we should defend Putin's invasion, by the way, because we shouldn't. But, but why do they make it sound like this is the worst and only invasion we've ever heard of in our lifetime? And why do they continually scare us with it? Part of the answer is that the companies that make the bombs actual representatives or interlocking interests who influence or sit on the board of the corporations who own these networks you've just seen. So they've got representatives who sit on the board or they have interlocking members, which essentially means other people who influence them who work on other boards, and they influence who? They make decisions at the corporate level where? NBC, who has NBC News, right? Fox, Fox News, CNN, ABC, Disney, all of these big companies, they're influenced by people in places like Raytheon. They write big checks for advertising, as well as uh, in order to make sure that people watching those channels don't complain about this. They want to make sure people buy into what I'm about to tell you about. And, and here's the big payoff for them. Here's the payoff. Follow me here. Listen to me. Just recently, President Biden signed into law a record-breaking $782 billion defense package, including $13.6 billion for Ukraine. And then on top of that, another billion dollars goes to give Ukraine forces those javelin anti-tank missiles. Cha-ching! Now, who do you think makes those weapons? Like the Stingers, etc. Who do you think? Raytheon? Lockheed Martin? Some of those same companies that those guys are being paid by to go on TV and talk about how we need more Stingers and weapons, etc., etc. And wait, there's more. We now hear there's another $10 billion that's on the way. By the way, look, I could go on and on. We could be here all day with me showing you examples of what goes on every single night on cable news and network news in the United States, of these pundits who are paid by, 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 by military contractors, by weapons makers, telling us that we need more wars and we need more bombs. But I'd be here forever. I mean, there's Petraeus. There's uh, Wesley Clark. Uh, there's Fauntroy. I could go on and on. You know, this. Oh, I was just thinking, a conversation I had with my late dad recently it reminds me of what's going on now. Remember when the baseball steroids thing was going on? That big controversy? And after a while, the argument became, I remember my dad and I laughed about this. So what if they're doing steroids? I mean, yeah, they're all doing steroids. I mean, after a while, you just say they're all doing it, so I guess no longer a problem. Yeah, and they were all doing steroids, and they all seemed to be doing it for the money. And some people said, can you blame them? The difference is, in this case, between baseball and this, this isn't a game. These are wars we're talking about. Peter Kuznick is a professor at the Department of History at American University, he and I have had a lot of conversations about this type of thing. And, you know, the more I look at it, the more difficult it is for me to understand why we as Americans don't notice this and have conversations like this. Eric, that was quite an introduction. <clears throat> um, well, haven't seen you for a while, but you haven't skipped a beat. <laughs> well, you know, uh, some things just have to be said. I mean, and... Um, it's, it's frustrating to see something like this going on. Is, is there anything that I said 
that isn't true. No, no, everything you said is true. It's obscene. And there's nothing new about it. This has been going on for centuries, really. But in the American context, it's been over 100 years since World War I. And at least after World War I, the American people realized that they were hoodwinked. The American people realized that these defense manufacturers, these weapons makers, were making like bandits and that they had pushed the United States into that war. That's not the only reason we got involved, but there was a big lobby to get the U.S. involved in World War One, And it's partly because of, uh, well, there's a lot of reasons why. I don't want to simplify it. But after World War One, the American people responded very, very vehemently against the war makers. They called them the merchants of death. The movies that came out about World War I were anti-war movies. And in 1934, Gerald Nye, the Republican senator from North Dakota, had Senate hearings about these merchants of death. And the country was mobilized. Mm -hmm. Even Roosevelt was supporting these hearings. And the idea was that if another war starts from day one, either those the military corporations would be nationalized or they would be taxed at a 99% rate so that nobody could make any profits hmm. off war. The people in the 30s realized that there was nothing more obscene than these bastards supporting wars, watching kids get killed so that they could get richer and richer and richer. And that's what happened with DuPont and the others in World War One, And that's what was going to happen in all of America's future So does wars. it seem like we've forgotten this? Is it, is it because it almost seems like the last time we had someone focus on this, and man, this is, I, I know this is a quote that's used all the time, and I feel almost dumb using it because it is used all the time, but I really can't think of another time when I heard someone articulate this and get the American people's buy-in on this, including the media. And that is when Eisenhower said, beware of the military-industrial complex. Why are we no longer being where? I mean, Eisenhower knew what he was talking about because he created the military-industrial complex. I mean, we, ha we can't give Eisenhower a free pass. Most of my students, what they know about Eisenhower is that he warned against the military-industrial complex. What they don't know is that when he took office, the U.S. had a little bit more than 1,000 nuclear weapons. When he left office, the U.S. had over 22,000 nuclear weapons. And when his budgeting cycle was finished, the U.S. had 30,000 nuclear weapons. Thank you, Eisenhower. When he took office, there was one finger on the nuclear button. When he left office, there were dozens through delegation and subdelegation. When he took office, nuclear weapons were our last resort. When he left office, let they me were tell you there's something resort. that's happened, so uh, Professor, in, in my lifetime. Big changes I've seen. When I was a younger man, I remember two things that I would have to at least try and fight against these uh, forces of malice, which want nothing more than to make money from wars. One, the media. I remember as a child 
watching reports on the major television networks, which essentially gave the finger to people like LBJ and Richard Nixon and the war profiteers and said, no, what you're doing is wrong. Two, the Democratic Party used to have or stand for peace. They used to always put up a candidate, McGovern, for example, and many others, Humphrey, who stood against the war, literally ran on saying, I want wars to end. Today, the media is lockstep in line, as I just showed you, and the Democrats, they're the biggest cheerleaders for war, including President Biden, President Obama, and all the presidents in my lifetime recently. Those two things are what I see that have changed dramatically. Am I wrong? A little bit wrong. Okay. Uh, because, I mean, American foreign policy has almost always been bipartisan. We've got two war parties. We've got two parties dominated by hawks. You have to remember that Vietnam was largely a democratic war. Yeah. I mean, it, be it begins in some way U.S. involvement under Truman. It continues under Eisenhower, Republican. But then Kennedy increases the number of advisors. He wanted to pull out and would have had he lived. But then Johnson doubles down. It's really Johnson's war and McNamara's war. And then Nixon gets elected in 68 as a peace candidate. He says, I've got a secret plan to, to end the war. Yeah, secret plan, bombing him back to the Stone Age even more than before. But people don't realize, you know, we're so highfalutin and moralistic about what the Russians are doing. But when Robert McNamara came into my class, he told my students that he accepts that 3.8 million Vietnamese died in the war. 3.8 million. You know, so yes, what's happening in Ukraine is horrific. I mean, there is no excuse for this. And I'm furious with Putin for what he's done. But on the scale of horrors and atrocities, yeah. we're nowhere even in the same universe as what the United States has done, which is not in any way to excuse what Russia's doing. Right. So, uh, so I mean, we. So I think the Democrats have always been just as guilty. Even if you look at Carter, who's been such a terrific former president, the last two years of the Carter administration were completely hawkish, completely taken over by Brzezinski. And the defense spending, nuclear threats, I mean, the U.S. policy during Carter, again, was really, really awful those last two years, extremely hawkish. What we see in Reagan is even worse, especially in Central America. And Reagan, was same, same as now, what we're seeing is this threat inflation. But nobody was better at that than Reagan. Reagan was saying that the Soviet Union was spending more, was far more powerful than the United States. The reality, of course, was not that not that way. It was the opposite. And that they defended massive increases in defense spending. So this happens under both parties, and it's obscene no matter who's doing it. Professor, let's bring it to the present. It seems to me like I am just hearing the kind of rhetoric that could easily be amped up into something m much more conflagratory, which is the comments I hear about both Russia and China and it seems to be coming along uh, in the media from the mouths of our politicians and obviously coming from people who are fed money by the military contractors at a time when I'm seeing kind of a de-escalation of the so-called war on terror in the Middle East. Am, 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 is my logical enthymime correct 
or are they replacing one boogeyman with another? I think you're absolutely correct. And we saw this being foreshadowed in November 2011 when Hillary Clinton wrote her article in Foreign Policy magazine, America's Pacific Century. So the 21st century is going to be America's Pacific century. We're going to pivot to Asia. And the real foe we have to fight is not in Iraq and Afghanistan and the Middle East. It's China. And, and it's taken a while before we've gotten there. But if you look at that recent NATO meeting, they are explicitly expanding NATO's mission to confront China. And that's what we call the pacing threat. And that's what Biden really wants to focus on. You look at the Hawks and administration. Biden is not some innocent. Biden appointed 16 members of the Center for a New American Security into top strategic positions in this administration. These are the hawks. These are the people who brought the Asia pivot. These are the people who want to get rid of this war because they really want to focus on China. So if they can drag Russia down, especially now that Russia and China are closer and closer as friends and allies, then it really behooves us to get rid of Russia and also then to go after China. And that's the real goal. And the situation with China in the South China Sea, in the Strait of Taiwan, on trade issues, that in some ways is going to be even more dangerous than what we're seeing now with Russia and Ukraine. As crazy and dangerous as this is, and as much of a threat this is as spilling over into World War III and nuclear war, the threat with China is probably even greater because China poses much more of a real military and economic threat. In a sense, Russia poses a military threat because they've got a huge nuclear arsenal. But China is the real pacing threat, as Biden has said. Let's take these one at a time, and we'll start with Russia because we started there. And that is the idea that most Americans right now are seeing that we're about to be in a recession, that we're hitting inflation, and that it's, been assess that it's essentially been escalated by this situation in Ukraine. While at the same time, as we mentioned earlier, there are forces within the United States who are getting extremely rich off the war in Ukraine. And again, the average person watching us right now would ask, Professor, are they doing this on purpose? Do they, did they know that this was going to happen? And these sanctions and these other things we're seeing against Russia, which are hard for us, but good for the really, really wealthy guys, was that something that was done with a plan? Well, when I think about that in historical analogies, I think about Brzezinski's influence on Carter and the way they induced the Soviet Union to invade Afghanistan in 1979. When that happened, the U.S. had already begun arming the Mujahideen. They knew that if they did so, it would, it would spark this Islamist uprising and the Soviets would have to respond. Brzezinski took credit. Publicly, he and Carter said the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan is the worst thing that's ever happened. It's a moral outrage. It's like on the scale of what we see with Ukraine now, good versus evil. Behind the scenes, they were popping the champagne corks. They were celebrating. As Brzezinski said, we wanted to give the Soviets their own Vietnam. And they deliberately tried to. In fact, when Casey was in there in the 1980s with Reagan, they actually were attacking in parts of 
Russia huh. itself, the Soviet Union itself. So this is something they were deliberately fanning. I'm convinced that the same thing happened this time, that there were people, not everybody, I don't even know if Biden was aware of, of this, but there were defense planners who knew that if they acted in certain provocative ways, they could probably induce Putin to stupidly, criminally, immorally invade Ukraine. Uh, and Putin, I thought, was smart enough to not go for it, but he took the bait. Interesting. Uh, and, and now they've given uh, Putin, really, in many many sense terms, this has really hurt Russia strategically. But wait, 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 wait. Forget about that. What you just said yeah. is fascinating. I mean, you just said that the United States, or forces within the United States, at the highest levels, wittingly pushed Putin to get him to invade Ukraine, knowing that in the end it would serve our interests and certainly serve the interests of the Raytheons of the world. And I recall, interestingly enough, you and I having a conversation, I don't know, I think it was about a year ago or something, where the United States did some exercises, I believe it was in the Black Sea. And it was not just the United States, it was NATO countries, countries from all over the world, and they literally just started dropping fake bombs and dropping uh, uh, soldiers and people off of helicopters right there on the beach where Russians who were tourists at the time and taking their vacations could see it. And I remember Putin thought, this is an amazing provocation. And we let it go. But not long after that is when we saw the invasion of Ukraine. Do you think there's a relationship? I think that the NATO buildup in Ukraine was predictable that this was going to provoke a Russian response. American policymakers have been talking about this for decades. George Kennan, Paul Nitzer, William Burns, the current head of the CIA, was U.S. ambassador to Russia in 2008 when George Bush stupidly talked about Ukraine and Georgia joining NATO and wanted to fast track this. And Burns, the U.S. ambassador, writes a secret memo back to Washington titled, Niet means Niet. Stop crossing Russia's red lines because this is going to provoke a reaction that we don't want. Well, Burns might not have wanted it, but there were others in NATO and in the United States who were preparing for this. This is what they wanted. You look at the response, the way they've built up NATO, the way they've increased American military spending, the way they're financing new armed systems. I mean, the, the military is in pig heaven right now. Hmm. And, uh, and this is, you know, I can't prove that they, that they were behind the scenes planning this. The documents will not come out for years or decades. We didn't know in 1979 that the United States had consciously induced that Soviet invasion. But Brzezinski writes about it. We know from other sources now. And we're not going to know for a while if, if I'm correct about this. But we saw the increase. It was easy. The United States could have said Ukraine is not going to join NATO. Ukraine will be neutral. But that's not what we did. We refuse to give those assurances that Russia asked for. Uh, the United States could have encouraged the, Brit the Germans and the French to go along with the Minsk II agreement on Ukraine. Right? That was signed by Russia, 
Ukraine, France, and Germany. And back in 2015, they had the advanced, the new version of it. That would have satisfied most of what Putin was looking for. It would not, but and Zelensky got elected saying that he was going to restore peace with Russia. And hmm. he got threatened with, with lynching for doing that. And then he backs down and starts becoming a super hawk. But there was a possibility to avoid this. And, you know, and, and we didn't want to do that. We did not do the steps that could have been taken. We don't know for sure what Putin had in mind, that Putin wanted to restore Ukraine to the Russian orbit, or that he saw all of this as, as restoring the Russian empire. There's no evidence to support that. But we can't think along with Putin. He was acting very strangely and irrationally in many ways. But there were ways to try to avoid this, and the U.S. did not do that. As now, where do you hear anybody in the U.S. talking about negotiations, talking about tamping this down, talking about looking for a resolution to end this quicker? No, it's all about sending more arms. It's all about we're going to uh, do whatever Zelensky wants. We're going to support him. If he doesn't want to negotiate, we're not going to encourage him to. And the United States is backed, Biden says. He said when he got elected, the U.S. is going to restore American leadership in the world, American hegemony and American influence. The United States is back. And he's succeeded. He's rallied the Europeans behind America's militaristic approach to this and other problems. And we see what's happening in Germany, the massive increase in defense spending in Germany, which they had refused to do since World War II because they learned some lessons. They've forgotten those lessons now. Uh, we, but we see this happening across you the know, board. You're absolutely right. It does seem, the way you describe it, like everything that is happening in the United States is in an effort to pour gasoline on the situation in Ukraine. Do you think the American people see it? Will they see it? I have seen recently that, at least in terms of news coverage, the story is not as much a front pager as it used to be. Is this the beginning of what usually happens in this situation? And do you think the American people will eventually say, enough with the gasoline, let's get the hell out of there before it gets worse? Yes. Um, people get war-weary. The United States was already war-weary. We had just gotten out of Afghanistan yeah. after 20 years. Our exit from Afghanistan was a national humiliation. You know, and, but nobody remembers that now. But the American public was already war-weary. And the American public is going to get war-weary again. It's already happening in parts of Europe. We look at the latest polling out of Germany. First of all, in East Germany, the former East Germany, the anti-war sentiment is very high. In West Germany, it's growing. And there's the concern, of course, is the economic impact. You think of the irrationality of Biden. In many ways, I support Biden's domestic agenda, mm -hmm. certain aspects of it, which I thought were on the right track. Uh, and, I'm, and I hate Manchin and the Republicans for sabotaging a lot of good things. But you look at Biden's irrationality. He says constantly that the sanctions, and he blames Putin's war for the inflation in the United States and the suffering and the discontent and his very low approval ratings, 36%. But what does he do? He says, we're going to continue. We're going to expand these sanctions, 
even though the effect that it's going to have is going to be to make sure the Democrats lose in 2022 <laughs> and in 2024, bring the Republicans back into office, destroy American democracy. In the beginning, you were talking about the importance of democracy. I share that. I hate to see the big lie that Trump and his people are pushing. I hate to see what they're doing to basically undermine American democracy. But Biden, in order to punish Russia, is going to contribute to the destruction of American democracy by making American people more miserable, by increasing inflation, by increasing economic hardship and suffering in the United States. And there's an intellectual disconnect. I see. No, listen, you're absolutely right. Uh, the sanctions on Russia are having the effect of making the economy more difficult for Americans. Yes. For Americans. And that's obviously because of what's happening to the price of gas, which is suddenly more expensive because of the sanctions on Russia, whose uh, supply used to be in the pipelines. And, you know, one of the other things that I find fascinating is it seems to me that, Professor, by pushing Putin out of what would be the European community, not that he was ever a big part of it, but at least he, you know, was allowed to dabble, but by pushing him out and essentially shoving him into a corner, it's making him become friendlier with China vis-a-vis -vis Iran, vis-a-vis -vis India. And now you have those four very powerful countries, by the way, essentially in unison against us. Who needs that, right? Nobody needs that. And, and the United States has succeeded in getting the Europeans on board, succeeded in getting South Korea, Japan, and Singapore on board. To some extent, New Zealand and Australia, you know, AUKUS was a really bad move, but, but you've got a new leader in Australia who's, you know, not, not entirely on board, I think, with what the U.S. is doing there. Hmm. But the rest of the world, I mean, the United States has been trying to win India over for decades. It's not working. It seems to be doing so. But uh, no, not working at all. India is buying up that Russian gas and oil. Yeah. At In fact, and let me just add something for our listeners that may not know. Ever since we tried to uh, destroy the ruble and ever since we put sanctions on Russia, the ruble, I just looked it up before I started this show. The ruble is at the highest point it's been in the last 20, 30 years. <laughs> I mean, you can't make and that the up. Euro, the euro is at the lowest. And the euro is at the lowest. So the so plan we, ain't working. Our policies, our policies are backfiring. They're stupid. They're short-sighted. You know, Arbatov uh, said when the Soviet Union collapsed, said, we're going to do the worst possible thing to you. We're going to leave you without an enemy. And But we were quickly able to find enemies. How else do you justify, as you're saying, this bloated military spending? American people don't need more weapons of war. They need roads. Yeah. They need bridges. They need infrastructure. Uh, Jobs. Is, and it's also affecting world agriculture, food supplies around the world. Not only are the Europeans going to be suffering from a lack of energy this winter, but, they're all, but the world is going to be suffering from a lack of food, a lack of fertilizer, 
the lack of nickel and other ingredients we need. So most of the world is not going along with the U.S. The U.S. says it's democracy versus autocracy. It's good versus evil. But other people realize, you know, the United States Blinken talks about the rules-based international order. And they see that Blinken, who supported the invasion of Afghanistan, supported yeah. the invasion of Iraq, supported the invasion of Libya, supported the bombing in Syria, they say, who the F is this guy to be talking about rules-based international order? You know, but they see the hypocrisy. So I know. How going, dare they invade a country? Who would think that anybody would ever invade a country nowadays? Oh, wait a minute. Right. We've done that many, many times now. Final question. Final question. And this, this is really where the rubber uh, meets the road. You and I just had a very interesting conversation. You love this country as much as I do. I know. And the conversation that you, you and I just had was not disrespectful. We're not we're not, no, the we're not being, we're not being uh, unpatriotic. In fact, I would argue we're being more patriotic because when I tell my son what he's doing wrong, it means I love my son. It doesn't mean that I let my son get away with whatever the hell he wants to get away with or my daughter for that matter. So here's the question. Why aren't we seeing a conversation like Professor Kuznick and Rick Sanchez just had on CNN or on Fox or on NBC? or for that matter, on any of the other networks, the cable channels, or even some of the big newspapers like the Washington Post and the New York Times. Why don't they have these conversations? Why just cheerleading? This is nothing new. You know, we saw after Iraq, uh, we saw in the first Gulf War, all you have once these wars start or the potential for a war starts, it's intelligence people, it's military people, and Anti-war voices are completely shut out. You know, we have a free press in a sense in this country, but the unanimity of opinion that's expressed in the mass media is more, you, there's less dissent than there is in countries that don't have a free press. And, you know, I, so I, I can do mainstream media all over the world, but I can't do it in the United States. And this has been the case for, for years. Maybe when Oliver Stone and I first came out with Untold History, we did the rounds on CNN and MSNBC and other American networks, but that was almost a decade ago. And I don't get asked anymore. Uh, and you know, the voices, if you don't, don't accept the narrow framing of issues, the way the mainstream establishment defines them, you do not get on American media, mainstream American media. And, and it's very frustrating because that's why you said before, they've turned into propaganda machines. Americans don't realize that the way they should. Americans don't think critically. They complain a lot, but they don't get at the root of what's really going on and what the problems are in this country. So they've got a right to be angry but they're not. But they're spinning their wheels because they don't ask the right questions, and the media does not encourage them, or enable them, or help them think critically about what's going on. If you and I could have this discussion on CNN or MSNBC or Fox, people would agree with us. Mm -hmm. And I find that all the time, that once you present things in a coherent way, people agree with you. But they don't get that alternative. And it's not that we're anti-American. 
I, as you say, just the opposite is because we love this country, because we understand what this country could be, what it should be, what it should stand for, what American leadership could be in a, in a world, not the world we live in now, a world in which the richest eight people have more wealth than the poorest four billion people, in a country in which the richest three people have more wealth than the bottom half of the population. That's not the world we want to live in. And it's not the world most Americans want to live in. But you don't hear that discussed on mainstream media, and it's a pity that that's the case. When was the last time that you got a call from one of those corporate networks to uh, go on the air, by the way? Well, it was on BBC last week. But I was on BBC on a show about Stanley Kubrick's anti-war movies. So I was not on BBC about Ukraine. And if there's any country that's been more warmongering and more aggressive pushing Zelensky not to negotiate than the United States is Boris Johnson and the Brits. You know, and, and it, you look at Britain, the British are planning a 40 percent increase in nuclear weapons in their in their latest defense plan spending. So, I mean, the. There's a lot of blame to go around. You know, United now you know, I was going to, Professor, I have to tell you something. Now you know what, how we Latinos feel in this country. We get invited to go on CNN or Fox or any of those channels on Cinco de Mayo, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, whenever there's some announcement about something having to do with immigration, and that's it. When it comes to the big boy topics, when it comes to the real things that are going on, Ukraine, for example, we don't get invited to the table. In fact, we're 2% of the uh, national conversation on most cable channels, despite the fact that we're 20% of, of the population. Just like you happen to be one of the foremost experts that I know when it comes to U.S. history, U.S. politics. And for some reason, they don't like what you say, so they don't invite you because they only want to hear what they believe. That's just wrong, man. That's just wrong. Yeah. That's well, and we're suffering as a result. We're paying the price for this kind of limited discourse that's allowable in the United States. You don't see, you know, Howard Zinn, when he was alive, didn't get on. You don't see Noam Chomsky. I don't see my friend Dan Ellsberg. I mm -hmm. don't see Bill Hartung. I don't see the anti-war voices or people with a critical perspective, even Andy Basevich and people with Quincy they're not getting on. Right. And they, and they may be wrong. They may be wrong. And the guys who say we should send 9,000 tanks tomorrow or 10 million tanks to Ukraine, they may be right. But both sides need to be heard. Both sides need to be heard. And that's the problem. We're not hearing in America these days both sides. I, listen, I would love to know what you think, by the way. This is the Rick Sanchez News podcast. We, we publish it in English and occasionally in Spanish. We do this as part of Agua Media because Latinos in the United States, as I said to the professor, are 120th of the population, but usually we're only mentioned negatively and are barely included in the national conversation. Most importantly, our content is not corporatized. We're not corporatized. Rick Sanchez News. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, wherever you look for your podcast. Follow our stuff right there. And for those of you on YouTube, subscribe, please, and leave a comment. And I guarantee I'm going to listen, read it, and respond. Professor, 
Thanks for being with us as usual. It's always a pleasure having these conversations with you, especially somebody like you who has the kind of experience who could sit down and say something like what you did during this conversation when you said that McNamara actually came to your class and talked to your students. And I sat here and go, wow, there's a guy who understands history. Thanks, Vic. It's always a pleasure. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Dale. Until the next time. Andale. Agua.